Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. This week's Fiber for Breakfast brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Broadband.Money. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 11th episode of 2022. But before we kick off, I'd like to thank our sponsors for Fiber for Breakfast, including our platinum sponsor, Broadband.Money, and our silver sponsor, STL. The Fiber Broadband Association's Broadband Infrastructure Playbook is getting lots of positive feedback from state broadband offices from around the country. Hopefully everybody has a copy by now, but if not, you know, please download your copy from the Fiber Broadband Association's website. Uh, Jennifer will put a link in the chat for the playbook if you want to get a copy. You know, at the FCC, as we know now, GAO has given the green light on the Broadband Mapping Award to CostQuest. So hopefully we're gonna see some new mapping later this year. And the FCC has instructed broadband providers to submit their June 30th data by September 1st. Also, Jim Stigman, the CostQuest president, will be one of our speakers at FiberConnect 2022 in Nashville, June 12th to 15th. So you're gonna wanna hear him. Uh, The Fiber Broadband Association also filed comments on March 9th on the Fiber Broadband, or excuse me, the FCC's broadband consumer labels also known as our broadband nutrition labels. You know, our comments emphasize that labels should identify network technologies such as fiber, because we all know that consumers want lots of fiber in their diet. So our reply comments are due on March 24th. The FCC has a new proceeding on pole replacements. So the FCC wants to move this relatively quickly. So please let us know your thoughts and comments, and we'll be looking at whether we file on that proceeding. So I'm thrilled that our series of regional Fiber Connect workshops kick off next week, beginning with Baton Rouge on Wednesday, March 23rd. These will be one-day workshops that help communities prepare for the fiber broadband infrastructure builds. We hope to see you there, and Jennifer will put the Regional Connect registration information into the chat. You know, I'm very excited about today's Fiber for Breakfast session. Today, we're going to be discussing Broadband Latency Explained. You know, last week we had a great session with our good friend Taylor Beatty from the State Broadband Director uh, for Tennessee on the $400 million of federal funding to the Tennessee's Emergency Broadband American Rescue Plan and how Tennessee is planning to prepare for the upcoming B broadband infrastructure funding. So you can hear more from Taylor at our FiberConnect 2022 event in Nashville on June 12th to 15th. Today we're going to be speaking with Dr. Doug Sicker, the executive director of BTAG, and Greg White, the BTAG Twig editor, on the primary factors affecting end-user internet performance in today's session, broadband latency explained. As our networks are delivering gigabit and beyond speeds, and, you know, I have been talking with our technology committee that we now need to focus on latency as that's becoming the long form intent. Uh, Dr. Douglas Sicker is the executive director and chair of the technology working group of BTAG, the Broadband Internet Technology Advisory Group. Doug also serves as chief computing officer 
and professor of computer science and electrical engineering at the University of Colorado, Denver, and the Anschutz Medical Campus. Greg White is a distinguished technologist at Cable Labs. Since joining Cable Labs in 1999, Greg White has been the technical leader who has been instrumental in developing several key technologies for the broadband industry. Greg has been the technical lead or contributor in all of the versions of DOCSIS, beginning with version 1.1, including acting as lead architecture for the Emmy Award-winning DOCSIS 3.0 specification. You know, Greg, I actually looked that up. I didn't realize that you had won an Emmy, which, you know, only in the cable business, right? <laughs> um, so, um, Greg also led the development of low-latency DOCSIS technology and related IETF standards that enable applications to achieve ultra-low round-trip delay, even while sending at high data rates. Greg previously served as the founding chairman of Etsy Cable Technical Committee and the lead cable technology standardization at ITU. So with all that, welcome Doug and Greg. And for our audience, please type in your questions as you go and we'll be able to get them into our Q&A session. With that, over to Doug. Thank you, Gary. And thank you everyone for joining us this morning. Uh, we're going to move at a little bit quicker pace uh, than we uh, have when we've presented this uh, more recently. We don't have quite as much time, so I'm going to try to compact my front end so as to give Greg the time to get into the technical details. Uh, quick agenda, we're going to give an overview of BTAG, uh, give a summary of the report, the observations and recommendations, and then as Gary said, leave some time at the end. So uh, some of you probably know a little bit about BTAG. Um, the whole idea started about uh, 13 years ago. A number of us were in uh, sitting around in Colorado talking about, boy, it'd be really great if we had more engineers at the table trying to sort out some of the details in terms of how things work so it what wouldn't muddy the, the, the policy proceedings. And the whole goal, uh, which we really have been able to pull off now uh, repeatedly in all of our reports, is to, to establish a technical baseline for a given technology. And this was really motivated by a lot of the early discussion about the uh, open internet or network neutrality. And it was actually um, established prior to the original order, uh, the order that came out in, in 2010. Um, and what we've been able to do over the years is again, kind of focus on this idea of if we have technical experts uh, driving toward consensus, we'll be able to think about uh, how to explain how technology works, but also give a set of best practices uh, aside that technology. And this is something that we've been able to do in each of the reports uh, that have been published to, to drive toward consensus. Of course, participation uh, requires uh, technical participants. One of the things that we've done in the last several years is we've opened up participation to BTAG to anyone who wants to participate on a, a given topic, as long as they have expertise in it. And this last report, this report we're talking about today is a great example. You'll see as we go over uh, the names, just uh, how broad the participation is. One of the interesting things about BTAG is that we have a shot clock. By the time we have a topic determined, we have 120 days um, by which to get the report done. And the report has to be 25 pages, the core of the report, the core body of the report has to be 25 pages or less. And we make sure that we have um, a broad set of participants um, from across the ecosystem, you know, equipment providers, application providers, service providers, um, public interest groups. 
And as I said, we've, we do this through a process that leads to a consensus document. Um, we also bring in uh, independent engineering resources. So we'll have people from uh, different universities, uh, notable universities uh, participate, uh, so experts in the field, uh, former government technology experts as well. And this is the participants on this last um, study. What you can see is there, there are some of the kind of the traditional um, BTAG participants like uh, AT&T and Cable Labs and Comcast, but there's also a whole set of uh, participants that were new to this, which included folks like Apple um, and, and Google came back. So it was really interesting to have this kind of broader participation on such an important topic. And this is really the a, a, uh, kind of the initial motiva motivation. As Gary had hinted at, and as Greg will talk in about much more detail, as we've gotten better and better at providing uh, higher data rates, what we've seen is that um, we've seen latency become more and more of an issue. And it's now something that's many of the uh, equipment providers uh, service providers and application providers are very aware of. So in this report, we want to provide a kind of a lay of the land of what's happening um, in, in understanding latency, as well as propose some ideas about ways of looking at it. And with that, I want to hand it over to Greg. All right. Thank you, Doug. Um, so I'll walk through a um, uh, high-level overview of the report. I certainly would encourage everyone to download a copy of the report from the BTAG website. Uh, have a look at it uh, for the detail. Um, so in the main body of the report, we go through initially a definition of latency, talk about its relationship to throughput and speed, which are uh, terms that uh, you know lay people are a lot more familiar with. Uh, and then we talk about um, you know, why latency is important, the impact that it has on user experience for a number of applications. Uh, then we dive into the sources and contributors to latency in uh, networks. Um, both in the access network and home network, as well as in the core of the internet. Um, talk about metrics and methods for characterizing latency, so uh, measuring latency and performance of networks. And then we talk about some of the current and future technologies that can be implemented in order to reduce latency in the internet. And finally, conclude with a set of observations, findings, and recommendations. And it's those um, observations, findings, and recommendations that will talk about today. Before we jump into um, those observations, um, first of all, I'll um, provide the definition that we use for network latency. Um, and, and the term can be used to mean different things in different contexts. Um, and so here we're focused on the network latency, so not um, a necessary application layer delay or uh, the delay to uh, to complete some kind of a networking task, but really looking at the packet uh, latency across the network. So we define it as the, the time it takes for a minimal data packet to travel from one network endpoint to another network endpoint. Um, and a couple kind of key things there. First one is the word minimal there. So we're here we're um, looking at effectively the time it takes for information to travel uh, across the network. Uh, so basically a signal to travel across a network, um, so not being influenced by the size of the packet, um, not uh, not the delay to be influenced by the size of the message or the amount of, of data that might be, need to be sent in order to complete a task. So uh, think of it as a small packet making its way across the network. Um, 
the other piece is that it's a characteristic of the path between each pair of endpoints. So um, the definition there includes you know, it's from one endpoint to another. Um, so any two endpoints in the network are going to have different characteristics in terms of their latency between them. Um, so it's important to understand when you're talking about net, uh, network latency, um, especially when you're talking about maybe measurements of network latency, what you're talking about and you're where in the network you're talking about you know, from where to where. Um, and then the last sub bullet there is that the, the latency commonly varies over time. So on a particular path, even for um, you know the same small data packet size, uh, over time, based on the competing traffic in that network path, um, the latency is going to vary. Um, when we talk about the path, the graphic on the bottom is intended to, to help illustrate. Um, an example could be from a user in their home um, across the access network um, and uh, metro network um, and across multiple networks all the way to a, a data center and a server in that data center. It'd be one, one path. Um, so next slide. Um, so the observations and findings that um, we highlight in the report, um, and as uh, uh, Doug and Gary both indicated, um, we've been historically focused on increasing bandwidth, and that's um, been straightforward for a lot of folks to understand. Um, and and definitely made major improvements to what we can do with the internet um, but um, we're getting to the point where uh, speed is not really the limiting factor anymore and latency is really becoming uh, a bigger and more important factor in people's minds in terms of improving the performance of the network going forward um, and uh, um, we recognize that today there are a lot of applications that users run that are negatively affected by um, uh, by latency in the network. Um, the third bullet there is an important one, um, and, and has led to um, uh, this not being recognized uh, um, as strongly as maybe it should have, even uh, historically. That um, the way that we have measured uh, network latency has really been uh, flawed. It, 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 doesn't correlate very well to quality of experience. And there are other ways to measure latency that are much better at, um, at describing the latency of a network connection in a way that, um, that is correlated to quality of experience. And in, in particular, we refer to this term working latency, which we define in the report as being a better measurement of the end user quality of experience um, than uh, what's typically used, which is idle latency. And we'll go on to the next slide, I'll, I'll illustrate what we mean by those two terms. Um, so this graph in the middle of the, the slide shows a, uh, a measurement of a network connection or network path over time. So this is um, almost two minutes of measurements, uh, several packets per second, I think it was 30 packets per second. Uh, we're measuring the latency multiple times Per second and then plotting that out over time. The vertical axis is latency in milliseconds with the top of the graph being 500 milliseconds or a half of a second. Um, and historically um, when networks, uh, network latency was characterized, um, it's almost always um, characterized in terms of average idle latency. And so when we look at this graph, we can see that there are periods of time, um, like right at the beginning, maybe at that, that period between 40 and 50 seconds, and then at the very end of the 
uh, experiment here, uh, where the latency is at a very baseline level. Um, so that's those are idle periods on the connection, and uh, historically those would be the areas where measurements would focus uh, focus on, uh, you know, collecting samples during those idle periods and then average averaging the latency measurements during those periods, which would in in this case result in a number around 35 milliseconds. Uh, you can see that there are several other uh, phenomena going on here um, where the latency goes up much above 35 milliseconds, up you know well over 100 and over 200 milliseconds, and even a few that go over 300 milliseconds, a few spikes there. Um, so just visually, I think you could understand that um, characterizing or trying to characterize this um, performance by saying the latency of this network segment is 35 milliseconds really doesn't do it justice and really doesn't give you an accurate uh, picture of the, uh, the experience the user is probably experiencing. Moreover, um, a lot of the real-time applications and most latency-sensitive applications don't deal with latency variation very well over time during the application um, uh, uh, duration of the application. And so what they do is they um, compensate for variation in latency by effectively adding latency to the the um, earliest arriving packets so that their latency matches the later arriving packets. So um, this is the, the term in the art is called a jitter buffer for this. Um, in this example, in, in this network, you um, uh, the result would be that the user would experience something around 200, 250 milliseconds of continuous latency uh, in their application, and they wouldn't see the variation, but they'd see a, a latency that is effectively um, equal to something close to the, the top of the peaks of the latency. Um, so if the user in this situation is experiencing 200 or 250 milliseconds of latency, um, again, characterizing the network as having a latency of 35 milliseconds is is meaningless. It's, it's, it has nothing to do with what the user is experiencing. So really, um, for a lot of the real-time applications and most latency-sensitive ones, all that really matters is how high the peaks are. This then goes into our observations. Um, so working latency, and again, this variation of latency over time, not focusing just on idle time, but focusing on when the network is in use, um, is valuable because it measures uh, the real-world end-to-end user experience. Um, it measures the performance of the network when it's in use, not when it's not being used. Um, and then the, and um, uh, we provide some um, discussion around this idea of working latency and characteristics of ways to measure it. Um, we don't provide a, a, a uh, crisp definition, precise definition of exactly the right way to measure working latency and how to characterize it. Um, we do provide some suggestions on attributes that we think are important, um, but we recognize that uh, there's uh, still some, some work to be done to develop consensus on the best approach, um, but definitely focusing again on the peaks and not the average. You know, looking at that uh, chart uh, on the earlier slide where you saw the latency varying over time, um, next question you might wonder is, well, what's causing that? Uh, why is the latency so variable? Um, why isn't it 35 milliseconds the whole time? Why does it have these huge excursions up into hundreds of milliseconds? Um, and so an observation that the report makes is that one of the most impactful and solvable sources of latency and latency variation, or variation in that latency over time, uh, is buffering delay. And so this is 
Um, uh, the term buffering is used in uh, to mean different things in different contexts, uh, even in the networking space. For example, um, you know, when you start a, a YouTube video or a Netflix stream, um, you know the spinning wheel while um, data is being uh, buffered up in your uh, in your player is one use of the term. That's not what we're referring to here, though. This is referring to buffering in the network um, you know, along the path as packets go uh, go through the network, and um, and you know, every network element has to have uh, buffers to absorb bursts of traffic. Um, and um, the, the characteristics and the implementation of that buffering um, can really impact the performance of the end user. And it's really an interplay between uh, the applications that are sending traffic into the network and, uh, and this buffering functionality that, that exists in the network. Um, so the observations that the report makes um, around that are, are that uh, there are queue management techniques, such as active queue management, that are available that can reduce buffering delay in network equipment, uh, and it goes into quite a bit of detail on on uh, on these phenomena and uh, and algorithms that can be used in the network in order to improve um, uh, the that uh, that variation in latency caused by buffering. Um, and then it talks about some uh, emerging technologies that can enable very low latency networking end to end that can completely eliminate that buffering delay. Um, for applications that are latency sensitive and uh, are uh, high data rate applications. Go into the recommendations then. So there are recommendations for different constituents um, in the, the networking industry. So kind of in general across the industry, um, the recommendations are to focus on uh, working latency um, in measuring both in live networks and in equipment. Um, and um, key points there are to um, continue work on developing testing methods to accurately measure and characterize working latency, highlight something like the 98th to 99th percentile of packet latency as being the most salient metric uh, as opposed to a mean or a median value, um, and then um, as a secondary metric, uh, potentially reporting on a minimum latency value so you can kind of understand the range of latencies that would be present on a network path. Uh, for um, broadband ISPs and network equipment developers, uh, work on deploying these mechanisms to reduce working latency, so the active queue management being one, and uh, these emerging technologies um, uh, for very low latency services being another. Um, for application developers, um, so again, that buffering delay is caused by this interplay between the application and the network. So the application and operating system need to do their part in, in reducing the latency that they cause, not only for themselves, but for other applications that are sharing the network with them. So we have some recommendations around that. And then finally, for policymakers um, to, to learn about um, this evolving topic of working latency and avoid creating barriers that might prevent application developers and network operators from deploying these new technologies. So with that, a quick overview of the report. Um, we'll have some time for Q&A. Thanks, Greg and Doug. Um, you know, this is, to me, really fascinating because uh, I do think it's really all about end user experience and, you know, with the right. impact of, you know, now we have these gigabit and beyond networks, you know, this latency is a long pole. So when we look at um, you, so Doug, you are CTO of both the FCC and NTIA. Um, you presented this report, right, to both the FCC and NTIA? Yep. And one of the questions was, what was your reaction? Were they, um, you know, engaged or did their eyes glaze over? Did they get this? And 
No, they, they, it was very engaged, uh, particularly with the commission. Um, really wanted to understand uh, some of the details behind um, both where we got our data, as well as thinking about the consequences. Um, you know, obviously this report is interesting in that not only do we do the kind of lay of the land technically, like we always do and get some set of recommendations, we also throw out something to say, hey, we really should be doing something fundamentally different, which is, you know, we've, we've, we've generally not done such a bold step before uh, as, as, as in this report. Interestingly, people are embracing it. And I think they see that this is something that's across the industry good. We should be focused on you know, the end, end user. So there was uh, a strong reception. Uh, the technical uh, folks from the commission were asking a whole, whole lot of questions. Um, you know, there were there was follow up with me saying, hey, you know, are you going to uh, submit um, ex parte filings and, and such? Or are you interested in, in discussing this as a topic? Where is this going to where are these ideas going to house? Are they going to be in the IETF? So it was there were discussions along those lines. So uh, not only did they embrace it, but also when we presented on the Hill, there was a lot of interest. So I think people are going to look at this and say, OK, this is really something about the future of broadband. And it's an end-to-end -end issue. It's not, it's not just an access issue. It's a how do we really start thinking about the, the network in a bigger way. So BTAG's sure. last report, which was great, was how the um, network survived the pandemic. Um, you guys outlined that most networks um, were able to perform at sub 20 milliseconds. Was that measured on idle latency or was that um, working latency or how did that compare to I mean, obviously, you wrote that report before you looked into latency, but yeah, I know it wasn't working latency. <laughs> I don't know, I'm pretty sure it was an auto latency measure. Greg, do you do you remember on your on what you su submitted? Yeah, yeah, the, the, that would have been characterized uh, as uh, you know idle, your know, average latency in idle time. So yeah, absolutely. So at RDOP, you know, the FCC defined low latency as sub 100 milliseconds. Um, how would we redefine, you know, given now what you know, how do we redefine, you know, in the new IIJA, it has kind of these weasel terms of, you know, sufficient low latencies to support real-time application, you know, so who knows what that low latency means. What, what, you know, to make sure we build the right networks, what do we, what, how do we measure it and what points are we measuring and, and, and what should we be using for targets? I mean, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to step in a little bit here because uh, we we don't want to be dictating policy uh, as BTAG. But uh, what I'll say is, you know, those weasel words are sometimes important, right? Because they let different technologies come in at different price points and serve the public. And so there's reasons that they exist as that. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think this is such a moving target. I would I would never venture to throw out a number. Uh, what I would say though is, we know that. There just needs to be more of a focus on this going forward, and you know I suspect uh, uh, policymakers it's going to take it's going to take a couple it's going to take at least a year for them to, to wrap their head around this topic and really uh, start moving on it. I mean, and, I, and again, I think the broadband labeling effort will help them draw attention because I've been reading the the the, rec, the, uh, the comments and, and and it really is touching on this. Great. Now yeah. that I put up some buffer, you know, don't don't get into the policy stuff, Greg, is what I'm telling you. <laughs> sure, yeah, no, understood. Um, yeah, I think that uh, um, you know, 
but something around working latency and, and in particular maybe even the difference between a working latency metric and the minimum latency would be a, a useful metric to look into um, because that then kind of removes some of the distance um, aspects you know a, a, another chunk of the latency um, is, is distance you know, related. So if you're going from a, a user in Kansas to a server in New York City, um, you're going to see a different latency than if you go from a user in Manhattan to a, a server in... Uh, so Greg, would, would yeah. MOS scores be a good proxy for that then? To kind of get uh, that on what road? Or? Well, MOS scores um, that typically typically been used for voice quality, um, yeah. but uh, they could be extended to other purposes. Um, that, that's kind of getting into you know, how do you look, how do you correlate um, network performance to actual quality of experience, and, and then um, certainly varies quite a bit application to application. And you know, as applications evolve over time, um, and uh, that, that changes as well. Uh, so I think we'd, we'd ideally want to look at a metric that can uh, more or less stand the test of time rather than. Uh, focusing on maybe you know, one application that exists today and and its quality of experience. So, so this might touch a little on policy, but one of the questions is, um, you know, now that we look at latency figures, should Dallas be included on nutrition labels that the FCC is putting together? Should latency? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, what about? Um, I know we're running out of time, but I think there's a lot of great questions here. So, given the shift to live interactive applications. Do we have evidence that the majority of ISPs are implementing network management techniques to reduce latency? And if not, why? Um, certainly the network operators that I'm most familiar with are deploying technologies to improve latency and have been for the last several years um, and are poised to deploy some of the, the new up and coming uh, network features that are being currently standardized in the IETF to significantly reduce latency. Um, so it definitely is uh, front and center for a lot of operators. Um, and uh, and it's recognition that we're um, getting to a point where we're maybe in a beyond speed um, uh, regime where the, some other aspects are becoming most important. Yeah, this is kind of last question and it's kind of a long one so I'll paraphrase, but it basically says, the network latency is only one part of the um, one element. Are, should we be doing something to help educate educate the application developers to ensure that they can reduce um, latency, you know, on end them at user experience? And you know, what should we do, be doing there? Yeah, and the report does talk about that a little bit, um, and uh, um, you know, suggestions for some specific things that application developers can do to take advantage of operating system features and and these up-and-coming networking features um, that can enable low latency. Um, but uh, quite a bit of that does you know, depend on the dynamics of the application itself, right, and, and what, what the mechanics are for, uh, for the interaction. All right, well, latency is king, so I really appreciate you guys uh, sharing your thoughts and report, and hopefully all our members will download and read that report. So. Doug and Greg, really appreciate what you guys do for industry on, um, you know, with the great reports you do. So I just want to remind everybody that we have um, some fantastic things coming up. Not only our great workshop next week in Baton Rouge, but um, we also next week we're going to be talking about Fiber Connect 2022 with my colleagues and good friends JJ Jones, the EVP at OnTrack, and our conference chair. 
and Rich Williams, the president of C2C and our conference program director. So we have an amazing lineup for Nashville. They're gonna go through what's gonna be, you know, last year was awesome, this year is even gonna take it to the next level. And they're gonna kind of go through what are the, some of the things to look forward to in Nashville. So see you guys.